So as I said, open your Bibles to the book of John chapter 6, verses 27 to 40. And let me read for us. Now, so John chapter 6, verse 27 to 40. It reads, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works that God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one who he has sent. So they asked him, What miraculous sign then? Will you give that you may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate manna in the desert, as it is as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses. Who has given you the bread from heaven. But it is my father. Who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God. Is he who comes down from heaven. And gives his life. To the world. Sir. They asked. They said. From now on. Give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to or all that the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me i will never drive away for i have come down from heaven not to do my will but to do the will of him who sent me and this is the will of him who sent me that i should lose none of all that he has given me but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. There are many benefits to being a Christian. Uh, in America, I doubt the statistics are, are too different in South Africa as well, that there are benefits to being a believer. For instance, if you marry a believing partner, you are more likely to stay together than if you, may, if you marry a non-believing partner. Children who are raised in Christian households where both mother and father go to church and are raised through the Sunday school, Bible studies, and so on, 
are less likely to end up in jail. Parents, uh, Christian workers, are less likely to, uh, to steal from work. So if you are a shop owner and someone comes to you and they uh, say they're a Christian, not that they, they will not, uh, they'll be perfect, but that they are less likely to steal from the workplace. So there are these benefits then that come with believing. There are these benefits that come with being a believer. Some people become believers, not because of Jesus per se, not because of, 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 they, they believe in Christ, that he's a savior, but because of the benefits that come with being a believer. To some, it could be that I'm going to get great friendships within the church. Perhaps they are lonely if they become believers and are connected to your community. Some come because perhaps they've gone to a point in their lives where they are looking for a wife or a husband. And they've heard that perhaps good women or men are found in the church. They come and they join the church. Some come because perhaps there's a, there's a, they feel something lacking in their hearts and if you fill it with, uh, uh, with something bigger than them, they want to experience the transcendent. So they come and join the church. So as you see, that people become, so become part of these communities for many reasons. And there are many benefits for being part of these communities. But when we get, when we get things wrong, is that when we think that Christianity is merely about these benefits that you will get if you become part of a Christian community. We get things wrong if we think that Christianity is about perhaps curing my loneliness. It's about finding the, uh, the better wife compared to other uh, believers. Or Christianity means that I will become a, perhaps a more moral person. I will not steal at work. Become a, perhaps a hard worker. That misses the point that misses the point of why Christ came into the world and died. And I'm not saying that all of these things are not beneficial. They are. But in their own, they do not save. In their own, they are eternally insignificant. In their own, they are not too different from the fleeting pleasures of this world. And Jesus wants us to labor for something that is worth more than the immediate benefit. He wants us to, uh, to be connected to him because of something deeper than merely the benefits of being associated with him. He said this in verses 27 to 29 of the passage we're looking at this morning. He said that these people needs to find that which is valuable. Find something that is valuable. What you have come for now is not very valuable. It's useful, 
but is not worth much. Look again with me in verses 27. Jesus says, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. It's a little bit odd if you are looking at that passage and you see uh, verse 27 and and Jesus says, Don't work for food that spoils, but work for food that endures for eternal life. What is the immediate context of that? What does Jesus mean? When he says, don't work for the food that will perish, that will go off, that will rot, but work for food that will not rot. The immediate, there's a double meaning to that. The immediate meaning, the first meaning, is that these people have actually been following Jesus because he had performed a miracle. Remember from last week, Remember right to the beginning of chapter, of chapter 6, Jesus performs this miracle where he feeds uh, at least 5,000 people, at least 5,000 men, and we're not told about women and children. He feeds them out of these five loaves and, uh, and two pieces of fish, and everyone has so much that there are leftovers of this food. And Jesus asked the disciples to gather up the baskets of what is left over. Then we saw that there were at least 12 baskets left over from the food that these people had eaten, which came from five five loaves of bread and two pieces of fish. And what happened after that is that Jesus went away on his own because they wanted to make him king by force. He retreated. And the disciples got onto a boat. Perhaps they had spoken to him about the next place that they need to go to. They got onto a boat. And at night they see Jesus walking on water. He gets into the boat with them. And he goes to the other side of uh, the Sea of Galilee. When the people realized that Jesus had gone, They start thinking, sure, we need to go where he is. This is 24 to 26. They realize that Jesus is gone and his disciples are also gone. We need to follow him. They start following him. They cross over to the other side where the disciples are and where Jesus is. When they get there, Jesus tells them, don't work for food that spoils. That is, they've gone through all of this effort. And commentators estimate that they have traveled roughly uh, 50 kilometers from one side to the other. And Jesus in verse 27 says, you have taken this journey because you want the food that you ate the day before. You are working Not because they want to listen to Jesus and hear him. Not because they want to put their faith in him. No. He fed them the day before yesterday. Associating with Jesus means that uh, your meal is covered, basically. When he says that you are struggling, you get fed. That happened the day before. They first started following him 
because they saw him performing these miracles. They saw him heal the man at, uh, in Jerusalem. Again, they saw him in, the, in this passage turning water into wine. But now they are following him because of the food. They'll be provided for. And Jesus turns them and he says, don't work for food that spoils. But for food that endures to eternal life. The food that your father gives you. And they ask him in verse 28, then what must you do then to do what God wants? Jesus first uh, rebuked them that you are following me because of, of, of the miracle that he had performed the day before. Don't work for that. Work for something much more valuable. Work for uh, the food that God gives. And they ask him, what must you do to do the works that God requires? In other words, what must you do to, to get this food that does not spoil? What should motivate us? And Jesus replies to them in verse 29, this is what God wants of you. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has said. What God requires of you, these people who are following Jesus, is not that you follow a male around. It's not that you become part of a crowd because this person is a miracle worker. He is healed, a person with a disability in Jerusalem. Not because Jesus is, a, uh, is the one who can turn water into wine. but come because you believe in him that he is who he says he is, that he is the Messiah who has come to save, that he is the one who has come to lay down his life, that he is, according to verse 35, the true, the bread of life, that whoever believes in him will never go hungry or thirsty again. Not that whoever is fed by him, by the way, but whoever believes in him. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that the miracles that I've been performing, whether it's the healing, the turning water into wine, the, uh, the feeding of the 5,000, they were there so that you may believe in Christ, so that you may trust in him. He has done these physical things that have, that, that have drawn them to himself, that is to Christ, so that they may see something much more significant than many bread and fish, than merely wine, than merely a, turning a, a, a person who was crippled, who could not walk, to one that who can walk. So there's something deeper happening. But the problem with the Israelites, the problem with human nature is that we want, to, uh, we want the benefits that are right there in front of us. Eternity seems too far. 
We think our immediate needs are the uh, are most important. We say that which is urgent to us. Let's say now for, for some reason, yes, they, they, they need to be fed. We see that as the most important thing. But what you see in Jesus, in his interaction with these people who have seen miraculous things, says what is important is that you believe in me. Verse 28 says. That you believe, verse 29, that you believe in the one whom God has sent. All of those signs, and they are called signs intentionally in the book of John, have been performed to point them to Christ. To point them to who Jesus is. He has given them bread in the last section so that they may see him as the bread, not just the fish uh, and the bread that he multiplied. He has performed these miracles so that they may see him for who he is and put their faith in him. Verse 33 says, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Not the bread that Moses gave to to your forefathers in the desert. Not the the bread that perhaps you, you came hoping to find a second serving of because you have fed the day before. but himself, but Jesus himself, the bread of God who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. You'll be satisfied with the bread and fish, but you need to come back again and again and again to to eat. However, if you believe in me, you will never go hungry or thirsty Again, Jesus tells him, I am the bread of life, verse 35. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. Which means that this belief in Jesus does something more than just the filling of the bread that they had the day before. Because all of us have to eat again. All of us have to drink water Perhaps more than we should. More than we do, I mean. But those that that come to Jesus, he is able to fulfill a longing, a hunger, that cannot be fulfilled by anything else. Those who come to Jesus, he is able to quench a thirst that cannot be then Uh, quenched by anything else. He's able to give them the life that they want. So therefore, he's saying, desire that, want that, labor for that. Don't labor for the superficial, the temporary. 
Don't labor for merely what you see as urgent. But rather desire that which is eternal. God himself. God himself who has, uh, who has come into the world. So that you who believe in him, in him may have life. But you may never go hungry again. She may never be thirsty again. He says, they have come to him now because they saw the bread that he performed the day before. And they want more. They saw the fish. Perhaps they saw the, 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 the miracle that he performed in Jerusalem. They saw the, uh, the miracle that he performed in, in Canaan. And I believe in, and, and, and are following him, to, hoping to see more, hoping to perhaps gain personally from uh, the miracle that Jesus is performing. And Jesus is saying here that I have come for something better, something that is with far more than your immediate needs, something that is with far more. I have come. Not only to give life, but to preserve it. Verses 37 to 40. It says, I have come that you may have life. You won't find life in these things that you keep uh, searching for. And in verse 37, he turns and he says, Not only will I give you life, but I will actually preserve that life. Verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never turn away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of, of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. That I should lose none of all that he has given me. But raise them up at the last day. Jesus says, I have come into the world to draw people to myself, that is. That they may come to me for life, that they may come to me for thirst. They may come to me, those who are hungry. And you know what? Those who are who join this community, those who have this life, he labors, verse 39, that he does not lose them. That even though they die, the fact that they're given life doesn't mean that they're not going to go through the process of living. No. Even though they die, he will raise them up at the last day. So he's therefore t- saying to the uh, Israelites who are following Jesus because they are seeing the miracles. He's saying to them, worry about your eternal life. Care about that. Seek to be fed that you may have life, the life that matters above the immediate 
A life that will outlive, that will, that, that will exist beyond death. And I will raise you up on the last day. It says in verse 40, The Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And they will be raised up on the last day. Now the question then, that they asked in verse 28 of the passage is a question that we should all ask ourselves. What must we do to do the works that God requires? What does God want from us? He wants this, verse 29, that you would believe in the one that he has sent, that you would believe in Jesus Christ. Nothing else matters A good husband without faith, without believing in the, uh, in the son, means no resurrection. A good job without believing in the son means no resurrection. A good life, a good community in this world without trusting in the son means no life, no resurrection. This is an encouragement to you and I to look beyond the immediate benefits, but to look to that which is eternally beneficial. It's a reminder to you and I that yes, church is a good, is a good community. Yes, it's nice. We are loving, accommodating. We care deeply about one another. But without the Son, without faith in Him, we're not loving one another. We're not caring for one another as we should. If there are any among us who enjoy the community, who enjoy the immediate benefits, but neglect to treasure the eternal benefit. It's not enough for us to love and sacrifice for one another, which we should, but don't care about whether the person believes or not, whether they're trusting or not, whether they're continuing in faith or not. I don't know how you can do this, how you can find this out, how you can uh, encourage one another to put our faith in him if we are not in a community that helps one another to do this. If you are not put in an environment whereby you have to ask one another these questions. If you are not in a Bible study, a prayer group, where you are talking about these things. We are not doing it enough if we, if we only relate at the superficial level. We are la- we laboring for food that spoils, but not for food that endures for eternal life. 
if you only care about what is happening at work, what is happening at home, what is happening in our, um, in our relationships, without caring what is happening in our hearts, especially our relationship with Christ, then you're not loving one another as we should. The encouragement to you this morning is that yes, let us love one another. Yes, let us live in community of care and deep devotion and sacrifice for one another. But let us, but let us care for one another in a way that is eternally significant. Let us place ourselves in relationships whereby we can keep one another accountable towards loving Christ, towards believing in him, I'm encouraging you, who is a believer and is sort of walking alone, and who is not um, really asking other people about this, is not being asked about this as well, if you are believing in Jesus and what does it look like where you are, is to join these communities, to join a Bible study on Wednesdays and Fridays, to come talk to me. Because it is, it's insufficient for us to love one another here, but really not care about true life, do not care about true thirst that can only be satisfied by faith in Christ Jesus. Let us pray and ask God for help with it. Heavenly Father, I pray that you help us as a community here at Christchurch to push one another towards treasuring that which will not spoil or fade. To care that we are laboring not for food that spoils, but for food that endures for eternal life. Help us as a community of believers to care for one another beyond the superficial, but to care deeply eternally for one another's well-being and for one another's souls. May we be burdened, Lord, by the fact that some of us are unbelieving, as we are when one of us is unemployed or or one of us is struggling relationally, or one of us is perhaps a, a sick child. May we be concerned, Lord, about one another as you are concerned for us. I pray and ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.